0: Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the Word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. We're going to jump into the the message here this week. And so this message is going to be a little bit more on the teaching end um, than even probably a little bit normal because I want to equip us with something that this new series is going to last a couple of weeks um, is uh, is gonna be very important for us. And here's why as the the series is on the Bible It's just plain and simple the Bible and you might be thinking well I read the Bible a little bit. I know about the Bible. Why are you gonna teach me about the Bible? It's because our culture is not only kind of drifting away from God it was that when I was kind of a little bit younger and now that I'm a little bit older it is a full-on full-fledged rejection of the gospel rejection of Scripture rejection of God I want to do things my way don't give me a book or anything that tells me what my moral compass should be I want to just do what you know I want to follow my own moral compass don't try to help me in any way I'm gonna help myself and so on down the line and when this happens um, people will begin to try and tell believers that there are problems with the scripture. And this is going to become more and more prevalent as we, the, the further our culture gets away from God, and there's going to be more and more arguments that we're going to find against scripture, and we need to be prepared for it. Here's why. Here's why most of the people who present arguments against scripture and against the Bible can sound very convincing because they know the scripture more than the believers. What about this verse? What about this verse? I've never even heard of that person. Never even. As I'm not telling you that at the end of this, you're going to be some biblical scholar. That's what I'm trying to nudge you in the direction to do. That's not what I'm trying to, to accomplish with this series. What I really feel strongly about is that all of us have to have the foundation of scripture and not just think well it's the scripture and that's we believe it because i want to tell you why it is valid that the foundation of our faith comes from faith in jesus but we know all about it because someone wrote the bible if someone witnessed to you it was because They were convicted to do so through the Holy Spirit from the direction of Scripture. Whether you know it or not, you are saved today because of your faith in Christ. That is it. But you heard the message of the gospel because somebody obediently responded to God's word. And so I want to ask a question here to, to start this series. And it's just a general question. You don't have to raise your hand or whatever. You can just shout out here. Um, you know, uh, in response. Uh, What is the Bible? Anybody? Word of God. Cool. Everybody agree? Word of God? Is that kind of the answer we would all kind of throw out? Ross beat me to it. I was going to say that, but he went first. Yes. Is that everybody in this room? That's most people, right? Most believers think, you know, the Bible is the Word of God, and that is true. The Bible is the Word of God. But what I want to do here is when we say the word of God, what does that mean? I want to drill down a little bit deeper and let us figure out exactly what the Bible is. Because if someone who's unsaved says, what's the Bible? And you go the word of God, what does that mean to them? What's in there? What is it comprised of? You have to know because you are the ones who are carrying the message of the gospel to the world. You just can't, You need to know what the Bible says. That is true. But you got to know that the source that you're quoting, the Bible, is a valid, authentic book that you can rely upon. So, first line in your notes. The word Bible means, anybody but Ryan know this? Because I know, I'm sure Ryan probably knows this one. I didn't want him to beat anybody. Anybody else know what the word Bible means? (laughs) Okay. Book. The word Bible means book. So I was born and raised. I didn't mean to call you all around like that. I, was just, I figured you knew, and so I didn't want you to beat the punch. Um, so I was born in the South. This is very familiar for y'all who have been around here. And I always, I always thought these, these Southern boys were being disrespectful when they were talking about the Bible because they wouldn't call it the Bible. They would say things like this to me. You're not supposed to talk like that. That's what the good book says. You ain't supposed to be acting like that. That's what the good book says. That's how my relatives talk. That's why I can do it so well, right? So that's what the good book says. And I would think, the good book, that's the Bible, bro. And then I learned that Bible means book, and I thought, oh, I've been offended for nothing this whole time. Anybody else ever been offended for no reason? Every single one of you, yes, just like me. So when you you pick up a Bible, like in a hotel room, if you slide open the door and the Gideons have left the Bible there, or you got an old school Bible or something— typically now nowadays you know they make them all pretty and nice and stuff like that but on the old school bibles it says holy bible next sign of your notes the holy bible literally means holy book it is a holy book so on a practical level so we're going to talk about for a little bit here today on a practical level what is the bible so the next next uh two uh, next two sections of your notes here ready the Bible is a collection of books, writings, and letters from approximately 40, 40 God inspired writers over the span of 1500 years. The Bible is a collection of books, writings, and letters from approximately 40 God inspired writers over the span of 1500 years. Next line. The Bible contains, any Bible trivia nerds in here? How many books? I hear people whispering like in unsure, like asking their neighbor, huh? 66. <clears throat> 66 books of the Bible. <laughs> Val sold Ross right up the river. Knew he would say it too. She didn't know. She just wanted him to say a number. Great. 66 books of the Bible. The Old Testament has. Anybody? 39. 39. See, Ross isn't going to talk for you anymore, Val, even though you were right. 39. 39, and the New Testament has, any math whizzes in here? 27, bam, there you go. Leave it to the early education director right there to pull out the math problems. The Bible contains 66 books, and that's in quotations for a reason. The Old Testament has 39, and the New Testament has 27. Now, the Bible is a collection of books, writings, and letters. This is very important for us to understand. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, in the Jewish culture and the Jewish tradition is referred to as the Torah. Genesis, the beginning of all things, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of the nation of Israel. Exodus, coming out of captivity and slavery in Egypt and going into the promised land. Leviticus is all—you all, know basically a record of all the laws, 613 laws of Moses. Um, numbers. It's a lot of genealogies. Um, If you like, you know, so-and-so had this many kids, and then they had this many kids, and here are their names, and that guy had this many kids, and this is their names. If you like that kind of stuff, it's great. For me, it's I struggle. I struggle in numbers, right? And then Deuteronomy is kind of the implementation of those things, and how God begins to deal with Israel at the beginning as a nation, okay? Those five books are books they are historical books and accounts of what happened historically to israel those are books let's move to writings proverbs this would be an example of these writings proverbs is a collection of wise sayings and this is not in your notes but you could write it down if you want and truisms truisms that in most scenarios, for most people, these things are going to prove to be true in life. Outside of some dynamic, you know, some crazy dynamic, you know, of something that happened in your life that, um, that va- invalidates one of the things in the scripture. And here's what I mean. Like, um, if, uh, you know, if um, you have a child, turn the child the way you should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Well, if the child is an accident or a tragedy and the child passes away, you didn't get a chance to be old, right? So in this scenario, it kind of doesn't apply because one of the elements changed. Make sense? But if you didn't have some tragedy or something like that, these truisms, these wise sayings are gonna apply to you probably 99% of the time outside of a, a random thing that you didn't expect in a normal scenario. Make sense? Sayings. Poetry. Any, any guesses on what book contains a bunch of poetry? Who said Psalms? There you go, there you go. Psalms. So the Coventing crew coming strong tonight. Um, so Psalms. Now, when I say, when you read the words that the love of God is like a giant mountain, should we go looking for the mountain called God's love? No. Because it's an expression, it's just somebody trying to articulate in a creative manner how much they love God. So that's not a literal thing. We shouldn't go look, look for the mountain of God's love. We shouldn't, you know, like in the song, like, if love is an ocean, I'm all, like, we're all sinking. Where's the love ocean? It's not, that's not what we're talking about. Okay? It is a metaphorical Creative songwriter, poetic type of expression about God. Okay, then you have letters. These letters are written from one person to somebody else. Paul wrote a letter to Philemon, his friend. So the book of Philemon is not a book; it is a letter from Paul to his friend that we get to see what's going on and glean from it and and learn godly principles from it. The letter uh, or the book of Romans is a letter from Paul to the church in Rome. Ephesians is a letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. It is important to understand that these separate things are these separate things are compiled in the Bible. So you don't look at things that are kind of poetic and you know metaphorical and think they're literal. That makes sense? You can't just read the Bible and be like every single line in this applies to me. It does not. You can learn from every single line. Here's here's what I mean. Um David had an affair with Bathsheba. Men do not go looking for a Bathsheba. See what I mean? That was not written for you to follow those that follow what David did. It was written to be like, don't do what he did. Do not be looking for no Bathsheba, right? If you're in that scenario, get out of there like he should have done. So it's important to understand this, that this collection of writings, of books, of letters, is what the Bible contains. Everybody with me? Now, what separates this book from other religious books because if you talk to somebody who's a muslim they're going to tell you that the quran they believe it there's some jacked up wildly wrong incorrect things in the quran just blatantly false wild accusations we'll get more into that probably in the summertime but um and later on down the road but there's some crazy things so we could look and be like well that's nuts but the people who are involved in islam go we believe that if you're a hindu your sacred writings are called the vedas a large number of hindus have never read the vedas you ask many of them where people who are hindu where did you understand this or why why do you know That the vedas exist because well my parents my grandparents or some relative told me about them i had this direct conversation with a, a gentleman who was hindu then i said have you ever read them he goes no my grandparents told me what they said i'm like well what if they were wrong in their interpretation and he was totally confused what do you mean why would i read them they told me what they said i'm good There's no conviction in the belief it's cultural so but they are convinced that their writings even though the prayers that are written in the Vedas don't work and they had to write new prayers to trump the old ones, and then when those didn't work and the rain didn't come on the crops, they had to write new ones. They keep rewriting it over and over again. Why? In the, we all look at that and be like, that's crazy. But they look at us and say the same thing. What makes our Bible, the holy book, the collection of 66 Um, writings, letters, songs, poetry, history, what makes that one right? Because we're going to have to answer for it. You can no longer just walk out into the world and be like, the Bible says. They'll be like, so what? Who's reading the Bible? You're going to have to give some kind of qualification why the Bible is right. If you are a Christian living in America, Tony Evans said this, um, you no longer have home field advantage You are a visitor We've always been visitors, but I understand what he's saying You just can't walk out there and be like well. God said and my pastor said they like pastors are crooked. All they want is your money That Bible is some ancient book. Why are you following that? So we have to know why the Bible is the foundation for us So number one, why is it the foundation for what we believe number one in your notes? The Bible is inspired. The Bible is inspired. <clears throat> How do I know that? 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize excuse me, what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So when I say the word inspired, your mind might start to wander off about, what does that mean? If you come to the church, I want you to be fully equipped with a tool, which is a question, what does that mean? What does it mean that it was inspired? Because when Ross saw Val, he was inspired. Right? Right? When you, yeah, (laughs) he's got a big old grin on his face, Uh uh-huh. When Mike saw Renee, he's like, I'm inspired. You ever seen a sunset? You ever seen a sunset? You'd be like, oh, man, it's just, he just felt that, oh, man, this is awesome. It's the sun and the the moon might be over here and it's glistening off the water and it's just all this, all your sensories on overload and you're inspired to write a song or call somebody that you wanted a shot with and we're always scared. But at this moment, I feel brave because I'm inspired right is that the inspiration we're talking about here Did people just say i think we need to write down some good stuff and hopefully it'll just be passed out to everybody i'm inspired to write something down is that the inspiration he's talking about no but how many of us have ever stopped to think what does inspired mean what does that look like in a real life level? Because these people that we read about and the authors, or the, the writers, I should say, of the Bible are real men and women just like you. Just like me. They're just real folks. How were they inspired in a different way? Not by love or by a scenery or by some thing of creation that they were experiencing at that moment. How are they inspired? Some people will go, think in their mind that you know paul is sitting down at dinner somewhere and all of a sudden just hits him boom he kind of has this glazed over look in his eyes and his hands just start moving And somebody go put a put a pen in his hand hold a parchment in front of him and then all of a sudden he pops out of the trance and he looks at it and goes did i write this this is awesome let's pass this out to everybody because this is awesome where did this come from like, some people think that there's, like, this download, like, that happened, and there was some trance or something. Like, there's this weird, you know, E.T. kind of thing. Well, some of y'all don't know what E.T. is. Stranger Things. That's more modern for y'all. Like, a Stranger Things kind of moment that happened that these guys just, and they just start writing, and then they kind of snap out of it. That's not what happened. There's no record of that being how these men got this, where people were being like, oh, Paul's not, he's got that look in his face again. He's got that trance going on again. This is going to be another inspired book of the Bible. No, that's not how that happened. Inspired means men had, the, the, these writers had an overwhelming prompting in their heart and spirit from the Spirit of God to capture important ideas in writing that God wanted communicated to others. So, those first five books of the Bible are typically, people think, Moses wrote them. He probably wrote most of them, but he probably dictated to someone who wrote it down for him. So, which one of those guys is inspired? God works in the middle of all of that because they're saying, I need to capture what's happening here so that people who follow Yahweh in the future can read this and understand the beginnings, how we got out of captivity, how we were brought out of um, Egypt into Canaan. We need to show them the laws that we were living by. This is important for us not to lose. And there is, God does something in them and inspires them in a way to say, I have to do this, I have to capture this right now. And they write it down and capture it based upon the leading, the unction of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've said this a number of times here, and I'm going to continue to say it again until everybody understands this completely. Next line in your notes. The Bible was written for us, not to us. The Bible is written for us, not to us. I don't understand, Matt. What do you mean? Paul i paul the apostle of jesus christ write this letter to the church in rome the church in corinth the church in ephesus anybody here members of the church of ephesus no anybody no i'm still looking okay nobody here nobody anybody lived 1950 some years ago when these were written I, I spoke this this morning to a group and they're like, well, you were kind of close to there, weren't you? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm old, yeah, yeah, me just, just kidding. It was written for us, not to us. Why is it important to understand that there's this collection of writings that's not written to us, but for us? Because the last couple of weeks, there's been an example of, of a gentleman who preaches online, he calls himself a, like a, a pastor or a minister of the gospel, and he's openly homosexual. And he tries to use the scripture to validate that his lifestyle is correct and encouraging everybody else that your lifestyle, if you wanna live like in a same-sex relationship, this is okay by the scriptures. And he used a particular passage That was mind-blowing to me, and is an example of doing this wrong. And let me give it to you. In our culture today, when someone who has same-sex attraction, it's been a secret this whole time, and they finally tell somebody publicly, what do we call that? Coming out. Okay? Coming out. So this guy says, God wants you to tell everybody that you're same-sex attracted. And he said, I know that because Lazarus was dead in the tomb. And God yelled out to him, Lazarus, come out. Now, all of us will be go like, this is ridiculous. He was 100% serious. You cannot look and say, Lazarus, come out. Well, in our current culture, 2,000 years later, come out means this. And I'm going to take my cultural meaning and put it on the scripture or think that the scripture was written to me and not for me. And I'm going to take that as mine. Now, we all know that's ridiculous. Right? But how many remember the phase in church about the prayer of Jabez? If you just pray the same prayer that Jabez prayed, there's a book on it and everything. You just pray that same prayer, you're going to be wealthy like him. He's going to expand your territory, you're going to have all this money, you're going to have all this power, all this influence. You just pray that prayer that Jabez prayed, and you're going to be, no, you ain't Jabez. Is anybody's middle name Jabez in here that I don't know about? I know most of y'all, all of y'all, right? If your middle name was Jabez, first of all, that's awesome. But second of all, it still ain't you. It was written for you, not to you. I just can't walk up and be like, well, that prayer worked for him. In that time period, married to that person, with that family, in that scenario, in that circumstance, and nothing in my life mirrors that at all, but I'm just going to pray the same thing and expect God to do it for me and demand that he does, because it's in his word. We can laugh about all the crazy stuff that goes on out there, like, Lazarus, come out. That's ridiculous. But we do the same thing on a different level. It was written for you, not to you. We can't impose what we want it to be for us on the scripture. It's got to be what it is, and then we draw the point out of it. These men, next on your notes, these men of God would write in the context of their own culture with a specific audience in mind. They would write in the context of their own culture and with specific audience in mind. Who was the audience of Corinth of, of Corinthians? The believers living in the city of Corinth. There were people in the city of Corinth whose um, son-in-law was sleeping with the mob, his mother-in-law. And calling themselves Christians, and people thought there was nothing wrong with it. And Paul had to address it. You can't be doing this. This is not right. Well, that could, well, yeah, but he feels the unction of the Holy Spirit to write this down because there might be some other people out there who need to read this later on down the line. Fine, but he doesn't write that thinking, oh, at some point in time, they're going to put this in the collection of books that is called the Bible. It's going to be the greatest selling book in the, in the history of humanity, which it is. But they don't write with that in mind. They wrote in the culture that they were in because that's what they knew. To the people that was their intended audience because that's who they're addressing. And it benefits all of us to see how to deal with things in that that manner. So next on your notes, the, the Greek word used for inspired literally means God breathed. The Greek word used for inspired literally means God breathed. So, God breathed. Now, again, what does that mean? See, I don't know if you're like, see, I'm, I'm sometimes tempted not to tell you what goes on up inside this head when I hear things like this, but I'm going to let you into the, into the madness just for a second. When I see God breathed, I'm thinking like whatever picture of God's in your head, you know, just looking at me going, ha! <sighs> He breathed. Is that what that means? God breathed? What does that mean? Next on your notes. It sounds mysterious, but it is simply identifying that the source of Scripture is God himself, not a human being. That sounds mysterious, but it is simply identifying that the source of Scripture is God himself, not a human being. How do we know that? 2 Peter 1, 20-21. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No. These prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. There is a prompting here. There is a... a a, a thing going on inside of them where they are compelled beyond something that they can resist to say, I have to write this down to someone or for somebody. Okay? So the source of it all is God. That's important because you're going to run across people who are be like, this whole thing was just made up in Rome. No. Got to read history, man. This whole thing was just a myth, a fake thing. Nope. Got to read history, man. So I'm going to make a statement here that most of you are going to go, I already knew that. But it's important if we're over going. So next line of your notes. Ready? God is perfect. Most of you will be like, I got that one. I got that one in Sunday school. I've been like once or twice. God's perfect. I got it. He's God. <clears throat> Deuteronomy. 32, 3 and 4. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is our rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He's a faithful God who does no wrong, just how, um, uh, how just and upright he is. Psalm eighteen thirty. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him i want you to follow the logic here okay i want you to think about this god is perfect all of his deeds are everything he does is and if he's the source of scripture number two the bible is infallible The Bible is infallible, I-N-F-A-L-L-I-B-L-E, infallible. If you're looking at me and going, I don't know what that word means, you're in luck. Definition, next line in your notes, incapable of making mistakes or being wrong. Incapable of making mistakes or being wrong. If a perfect God does everything perfect and all of his deeds are perfect, and all his ways are perfect, and everything he does is just and fair, and he is the source, the God breathed source of the Bible, then it follows tracking logically that the Bible is incapable of being wrong. Why is it important in the church context that we understand this? Let me talk to all y'all guys who are like me, raised in that Pentecostal Shunda all the charismatic stuff, right? Can we talk to y'all for a second? Um, this next note is for everybody, but specifically for y'all. If we hear anyone say, God showed me, or God told me to tell you, it cannot contradict scripture. It cannot contradict scripture. We have to be very careful with things like this, Why can it not contradict scripture? Because God is the source of scripture. And if he speaks to you and it's in contradiction, one of those things is wrong. And we just read that the Bible cannot be wrong since he is the source. So what they said or what you heard is wrong. Plain, simple, point blank, end of paragraph. I had a minister tell me one time, I know that the Bible says that, you know, those who want to be in the ministry or pursue ministry, at the, it's a good thing. He's like, but I don't think it's a good thing. We were over lunch one play, plate, and I said, wait, 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 wait. It doesn't matter what the details were. Did you just say the Bible says this, but I don't think so? And the shocked look on his face went, let me rephrase that. I'm like, yeah, let's do that. I'm not putting this guy on blast. I'm trying to say that this is a very real temptation, especially for people who sit behind a microphone because they're trying to get across a point in a way that they think will stick and is nifty. But it is wildly important that we are true to the gospel more than we are nifty. Being right with what God is saying is, dif- is far more important than the creative way I'm trying to present it. It's more important. Why? Proverbs 30, 5 through 6. Every word of God proves true. Everyone. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. This is pretty direct. Do not add to his words, or he may rebuke you and expose you as a liar. as a guy who is tasked with the job of communicating, learning, studying, and, and then presenting God's word, this makes me a little bit nervous. Because when my wife calls me out, when I'm doing something stupid or acting in some way, it's embarrassing. But if God calls you out, my, my guess is going to be far worse. I'm not telling you the holy spirit doesn't communicate to us he absolutely does however if we feel key word here feel the holy spirit telling us something that ultimately contradicts scripture it is not him well god told me to tell you sister but even though his word says that you shouldn't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers and brotherly love, like have close relationships with people who are unbelievers, that this one's going to work out and you should just go ahead and do it. Now, the response to that should be, um, which God told you that? Because it's not the one who wrote this Bible. If someone comes to you and says, God told me to tell you this, and it does not line up with Scripture, you need to ask which God they're listening to. Or was it the pizza they had last night with the little fishies that I ate? I can't contradict Scripture. Now, we just went over and made some pretty massive claims about the Bible. Crazy big. The words of our former president, huge. The biggest, biggest claims ever. Right? Massive claims. God is the source. And it is incapable of being wrong. Massive, huge claims. Right? So we better be able to back that up. Now, Many people throughout history, and especially nowadays because you can record yourself and broadcast it to the world from your phone. Many people have made a career of or risen to fame by attacking the legitimacy of scripture. So I did something while I was getting ready for this week's message. I decided to listen to some of these more popular talks or these people who want to refute scripture. And I listened to a couple of them. I walked in knowing that they're wrong. I just listened to it kind of from a neutral perspective. let me tell you, I kind of sound pretty convincing. Now, I have a whole bunch of time and study and research and reading and, 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 and time spent in God's word. And, I've under, and I understand a little bit more than probably just the average person who's just reading the Bible. And so I'm able to kind of piece through some of these things and go, oh, well, that's wrong. This is not wrong. But if you just take it on the surface level, they sound really convincing. But what about that? What about that contradiction? What about this These two books of the Bible say the different things about the same person or this about the number of people in battle and all this kind of stuff. What about all of that? And I'm sitting there for a second going, eh, it's kind of got a point. Two and a half million views in the last few months. Tens of thousands of comments. Thank you for doing this. I knew it was wrong this whole time. No, you didn't. You wanted it to be wrong. But we have to be prepared to understand not just what we believe, but why we believe it. And the foundation of where we're drawing from this truth is solid and legit, or you're going to hear somebody make an argument on some scripture you've never read or listened to or heard of, and you're gonna go, I didn't know that. And though they might not have you walk away from your faith at that point, do you think that seed of doubt's going to grow? Probability. Why? Cuz it is against your nature to follow what the Bible says. It just is. The sinful nature does not want to live a moral life. It wants to please what I want. Satisfy my flesh, satisfy me. We don't naturally be like, "Oh, this is great." Just I can't run around sleeping with everybody I want to anymore. Awesome. When that's been your, the thing that you've staked your identity on. I can't keep doing all of these things. I need to rein that in. God's going to change that part of my nature and lead me to a different way of life in your flesh. You don't want that. Why? It's fun for a little while. You find it's empty after a while find that pursuing those things is empty, but I just don't know anybody who read the Bible and went, who wasn't a believer and just went, sure, let's do this. No. As I read and I listened and, I, and, and, and as I watched these people make these arguments, some of them were just kind of weak. There's a couple of them that I was like, if I didn't know better, I'd almost be convinced to consider this. Why in the New Testament it tells us that we need to be so versed and so connected to the Lord that we're not tricked by people who present arguments that sound so good that they would try to turn us from our faith. Because if you know what it really says, and that there is a legitimacy here in Scripture that is uncompared to any other ancient writing or religious text. You're not going to be swayed by it, or it's going to be very difficult for you to be swayed by it. We'll get into some of these arguments later on during the series, but it brought me a whole bunch of comfort to understand that scholars, archaeologists, and historians have answered and or refuted every biblically oppositional argument. Next on your notes, no argument against the Bible is new. Nearly every argument today against the Bible is an old idea redressed in modern clothing. People have asked if the Bible is real or the real word of God or if it's been messed with or if it's been tinkered with or if it was made up, yes, for a millennium. For a very, very long time, people have asked this question. Just because you haven't heard it asked doesn't mean it hasn't been asked and answered. And it has by some of the world's most renowned, educated people. So, if none of these arguments are new, they're all redressed. We'll talk about some of them later on in the series. But tonight, I want to deal with one thing in particular that will lead us into thinking about the Bible a little bit differently. Number three in your notes, the Bible has been verifiably preserved. The Bible has been verifiably preserved. So, a question that a lot of people are going to give when it comes to the Bible is how do we know the Bible we read today is the real thing? How do we know that? So, what I want to do for a second is I want to take. The scripture that we all know and love let me just set that aside just for a second and I just want to look at how historians how uh, archaeologists and scholars view old ancient writings okay I think you'll find this very interesting so there's a number of standards they have for validating if something is right okay and we're only gonna talk about two of them tonight, letter A, one of the ways that they validate if an ancient text is correct or if it is reliable is they look at a the number of available copies in, of, of the writing, like ones we have in our hands today, okay? So I put a little chart there for you, all you Excel spreadsheet people, y'all should be like jumping for joy right now. Not this one just yet, Jules, sorry, I will come back to it. I. <clears throat> we'll do that we'll do one more thing before that So there's a bunch of ancient literature names on the left-hand side, okay The first one is Plato. He wrote the Republic Everybody here probably has heard that name his contributions to science and philosophy Today his writing the Republic there are seven you can write next to his name in that blank column seven copies of that available Now you think, well, that's not very much because there's more than seven copies of every book at the local Barnes & Noble. Correct. However, these guys are writing on parchment paper that was derived from plants. Not just any plant, but a parchment plant, and they would divide it up into three pieces, and they would take certain strands out of different pieces of the plant and then create the parchment paper. The fact that there's any parchments left of Plato's Republic is written in that that you know same general time period is astounding but to have seven they can take one and look at number two and go oh these things match they can take three and four and go oh these things match and the more they have the more they can verify these things match and it's a correct copy there's seven of those things pretty pretty incredible if you ask me julius caesar wrote a book called the gallic wars the next one on your list there and we have 10 copies of those 10 next one the writings of aristotle we've got 49 of those it's big 49 copies that are several thousand years old of this quill and ink and parchment paper it's made from plants i mean like this stuff's going to deteriorate over time and the fact that we still have these is phenomenal homers the iliad most of you either read this book or like me bought the cliff notes so i didn't have to read the book because it was a big one there are 643 of those bad boys in existence today you have 643 copies of those ancient texts now i want you to leave that bottom one that says new testament blank just for a second i'll tell you what to write in there okay Move on to the next line of your notes. Historians don't dispute the validity of any of these ancient documents from the same time period in the New Testament because they have these that they can compare to each other. Even though there's not a ton of them, they have enough to go, yes, these are legitimate. Next line of your notes. Presently, historians have in their possession more than 5,600 5,600 fragments or complete copies of the New Testament written in the original language of Greek. Now don't write 5,600 in that little box. Just yet, all you AP advanced placement students. Those next sign in your notes. They also have approximately 24,000 additional copies of the New Testament written in other languages up until the invention of the printing press. So here we are looking at the writings of Plato, we got seven of those, Julius Caesar, 10 of those, the writings of Aristotle, 49 of those, Homer, the Iliad, 643 of those. And the New Testament, we have 29,600 plus copies. There is no other ancient text from that time period that comes within a country mile of the New Testament. It is important you know that, because when people come with these highfalutin-sounding, high-sounding arguments, you can look and say, but bro, we got 29,600 plus copies and fragments that verify that this is the real thing. Why is that important? Because sometime in the early part, in the mid part of, <laughs> of this century, the Catholic Church, some of the people in the Catholic Church did not like the Pope. And so anytime that the word Antichrist appeared in the Bible, they blotted it out and wrote the name of the Pope. So they wanted you to think that when the Antichrist comes, it was actually when Pope Francis comes, or whoever it was, you know, like they put the Pope's name in there because they didn't like the guy. They were convinced he was Antichrist. They kind of scrubbed it out. Well, then you look at that and go, you have one copy. Well, you got 29,599 other copies that all say the Antichrist. Uh, Which one is wrong? The one that's been changed. Get rid of that one. That's how the it's on a very basic level how the textual criticism works. They can understand what it's supposed to be by the number of copies they have and there's almost 30,000 of those bad boys. No one disputes that Homer's the Iliad is correct, that it's the original writing. No one disputes the, the writings of Plato or Julius Caesar because there's so many copies and even atheist agnostic and apostate yes apostate historians who used to believe in jesus and now have turned their back on him will actually tell you yeah that's right it's not just some christian dude who came up with that number no that is actually the data so now let's let me show you that first slide jules thank you so this slide right here is Um, kind of a chart of the largest buildings in the world over a certain time period the one on the far left I think it's from like the 1800s and it's 180 feet tall the one on the far right is the tallest building in the world currently it's in Dubai and I cannot pronounce the name anybody here know it because somebody knew it this morning I don't know, I, I can't even spell it for you, sorry. But it's, it's in Dubai, it uh, was built in the early 2010s, I think. More than 2,700 feet tall. Okay? Look at that 2,700 foot tall guy on the far right and then all the way down here, 180 feet on the far left, right? Okay. Here's what I'm showing you this to draw a comparison. If every piece of evidence... For the New Testament was an inch thick. It just represents an inch. And we stacked those up. It would be almost as tall as the largest building on earth. If you stacked up all the historical evidence for the second most verifiable piece of ancient literature from that time, Homer's the Iliad, it would be less than five stories tall in an office building. That looks like this. Next slide. The building on the left would be how many copies of you have Homer. The building on the right in one inch blocks would be all of the evidence up to that red line of where the New Testament stands. You can be a hundred percent certain that the New Testament you hold in your hands or have downloaded on your phone is the real deal. The real deal. But, But let me further prove it to you one more time because a second thing that they do to see if a text is legitimate or not is they determine how many copies there are so they can compare them to each other. They also try to determine the length of time between it was written till the most early copy of what we have. So let me give you an example of what that would look like. If I wrote a book in 2002 and the oldest or the most recent copy you had was 2022, it's a 20-year time span between when it was written and the oldest copy we have. Make sense? Everybody follow me? So the second little graphic that's or that little chart that's on your notes. We'll go back and look at these writings from that same time period. Plato, the Republic. The time between the original writing and the earliest copy we have, 1,300 years. A long time. Longer than last week was for me, for sure. Long time. Julius Caesar, the Gallic Wars time from what it was written to the earliest copy we physically have in our possession 1,000 years a little better still long writings of Aristotle from when it was written to the earliest copy we have 1,400 years Homer's Iliad this one's better 400 years From the time it was originally written to the oldest copy we have in our possession today. Twice as long as the existence, almost twice as long as the existence of the United States. Why does this matter? Because if it was written a thousand years before the first copy, there's a lot of time in there where people can mess with it and change things. So the shorter the amount of time... The more accurate and reliable you can be, you can be um, confident that what you have is more accurate and reliable. The New Testament, from the time it was written to the earliest piece of um, literature we physically have in our hands today, thirty years—less than half of an average lifespan. Which of sure that last slide, Jules? This is called the John Ryland's Fragment. This is the oldest one of... This is a portion of the oldest piece of the New Testament that we have in our possession. Historians and scholars. And the words that you make out on this passage are from John 18. And the same words that were written in a 30-year time span of the original are the exact same words that are in your New Testament, John 18, today. Away from, well, the Bible said so, away from the Scripture, history, data, archaeology, scholars, everybody, the Bible that you hold in your hand is the most reliable piece of ancient literature ever from that time period in the history of mankind. The oldest one. Somebody offered a million dollars for this. They turned him down. He said, are you kidding? It's priceless. The oldest copy that we have of the word of God, a portion of it sits right there. At. Interesting. Why are you telling me this? Two reasons. My prayer is that through this series and through information like this that I'm providing to you and communicating to you, that you will turn and look at the Bible that sits on the shelf, or the counter, or the table, or the nightstand. You will look at that and go, the real deal, man. Well, I already believed it, uh huh. Now we've got history, data, and evidence to prove it's the real deal. You and I need to be consuming it. We'll get into this later in the series, too. But men and women literally gave their life to preserve the Bible that we casually throw in our backpack before we head out the door. The Word of God is the foundation for what all of us believe all theology, all doctrine, all study, it is the centerpiece for our faith. I'm hoping that you look at the Bible from now on and go, people gave their life. This talks about the blood of Jesus, but the blood of obedient followers of Jesus, literally gave their life, spilled their blood, endured torture, lost homes, were chased by the Catholic Church for years to try to get the, prevent them from putting the Bible in a language that the common man could read it. I am telling you that God orchestrated its preservation for you even though it wasn't written to you because the bible is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path I'm hoping that the the level of reverence and respect that you have for God's word will not become something that you walk in and see the bible and just kneel down and worship it that's not what I'm talking about the bible is not the fourth member of the trinity it is the words of the entire trinity to all of us and we need to treat it with that level of importance it is going to become vitally important because there will come a day where you're not going to be able to easily run out to barnes noble and pick that thing up or download it off for your phone that day's coming it has for every culture it will come for us hopefully it won't hopefully i'm wrong But if if history is any guide for us, that's going to happen for us. The second reason is, I hope, not that you would just look at it with reverence and respect, but there would be something that compels you from this point forward to go, if there is that much evidence. To me, that's just God showing off. 5,600 when the closest one is 643? another 29,000 or 24,000 of those bad boys, 30,000 pieces, that's just God's going, hey, it's the real thing. No doubt for you or me. My hope is your respect level increases for it. But the other thing is I hope that your desire to read it increases. Why? I don't know what to do in this situation. Read his word. I don't know which way to go. I have a decision to make. I'm not sure which way to, to go to the left or the right. Read his word. I'm not sure what I need to do. Read his word. I'm faced with this problem. I have this wound. I'm in the middle of this scenario. Read his word. Well, Matt, am I going to find in there where it says, uh, you, Jill, are supposed to do this at Thursday at 1.43 in the afternoon. No. You're not going to find it. But the job of the Holy Spirit, as outlined in Scripture, is to bring back to your remembrance the words of Jesus and the words of his Father. So let's put his words inside of us so that he will prompt us to remember them when we need them. The word of God, the Bible, is wildly important. But it is historically preserved and verifiable based on all the data which you got in your hand is truth. Took a little bit longer tonight than I normally take, and I appreciate you being patient with me on that. But communicating this is imperative for all of us to remain grounded when the opposition begins for us. And if it hasn't begun for you yet, it's either because you hadn't, haven't made a step forward in letting everybody know what you believe, or it just hadn't hit you yet. Either way, it's coming. You need to be grounded and taught what the Bible really is so that you can answer and last past the point of opposition.